Well, let me say, first of all, that I don't take any great delight or certainly no glee in what I'm about to say. Uh, These are perilous times in which we live, and they are times that should cause the true Christian to feel grief and sadness and and, uh, sorrow for what they see going on around them in the name of their Lord, uh, which is truly has nothing to do with him whatsoever. And it's getting harder to do so. The the advent of 24-7 cable and social media and so on is more in our face than it has ever been before. And I'm talking about the spectacle that we understand to be Easter. Now, what I'm going to say may shock some of you, and I don't mean to be shocking you. I'm not doing this for shock value. I'm not a shock jock. I'm not trying to say things for effect. I'm not trying to fire for effect here. What I am saying, though, is very real and very important for you to consider this uh, season in which we're in, which we call the Easter season. And what I'm going to suggest to you now is that you avoid attending, quote, Easter services, end quote. Let me say it again. I want to suggest to you, in fact, strongly encourage you to avoid Easter services, quote, end quote. Now, why do I say that? Well, over the last 50 years especially, and really over the last couple hundred years in American evangelicalism, but particularly the last 50 years, with the advent of the seeker sensitivity movement and retail religion reaching its peak, uh, we've, what we've done is we've presented a false gospel. We've healed the wounds of people slightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. And with a false gospel, you produce false Christians. And with false Christians, you produce false worship. My generation, I'm 67, my generation is particularly guilty of that. We took all the mayhem and and craziness of the 60s and brought it into the, quote, Jesus movement, end quote, and introduced Christian rock and other forms of music and worship that were more designed to uh, bring you into an altered state of consciousness with his rhythmic, repetitious choirs and choruses, than it was to magnify our triune God. It was the same really decadent thinking that we just transferred from the 60s into the 70s with the the Jesus movement. And that's just the music. The preaching then deteriorated as well. Preachers became hip, slick, and cool. They became entertainers. They became not teachers. They became almost improvisation type of uh, entertainers and and comics. Inspirational speakers. Christian self-help, which is one of the greatest oxymorons you can think of. So a false gospel has led to false Christians, false worship, and consequently greater condemnation. 
So what I'm suggesting to you is that you avoid it. Stay away from it this year. Don't participate in it. Now you know what I mean. Churches throughout the world are gearing up. It's Saturday morning. It's early my time, Seattle time. Saturday before the Easter Sunday spectacle begins. Now, I say Easter Sunday spectacle not because I don't observe and celebrate and rejoice in the resurrection of our Lord. Uh, On the contrary, it's because I have such a high view of the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ and its implications for you and I as Christians that I am so grieved at what I see as a mockery of that message. I mean, it's bad enough that the world celebrates with Easter bunnies and Easter eggs and Easter egg hunts. It's bad enough that the pagans use this as a time of year where they celebrate changing of seasons. But the church has the churches have adopted it and are really doing a retail religious type of thing of, of reaching out to people with promising Easter egg hunts and and fun and games for all the kids. You know the you know the rote. And there will be very little of any preaching of any substance. Preachers will have in their minds more how they can appeal to the, the people who are there. My father-in-law used to say he didn't want to be simply a person who attended church on Christmas and Easter, so he just didn't go on Easter. That's the kind of thing I'm thinking about. But I'm also thinking about those who go every week, those who have been told by the seeker-sensitive movement, those who have come into this uh, into the churches over the last 50 years who are now uh, uh, well in, embedded in the church who are unregenerate people. They are good churchgoers. They may be very active. They may be giving. They may even have gone through baptism, catechism, but they're unregenerate people. They have yet to hear the gospel of their salvation. They've been converted to the church but they have not been converted to Christ. And tragically, even if they think they've been converted to Christ, they've been converted to a Christ of their own imagination, not the biblical Christ. And isn't this evident by the popularity of movie series like The Chosen? I mean, Hollywood has picked up on it. Hollywood has picked up on the fact that there's a market here. We should be appealing to that market. So a false gospel has produced false Christians, which has introduced false worship, and there's going to be a manifestation of that tomorrow, like we seldom see the rest of the year. The mega church down the street from me is probably going to have five services beginning tonight, Saturday night and extending into through Sunday morning all the way up until probably 1 o'clock. Churches throughout the land have been rehearsing for weeks, 
choirs have been rehearsing. Yeah, I mean, it is a spectacle. It is a circus. It is a false worship. And so I want to encourage you to consider if you are truly in Christ, that you not participate in it this year. There is, there is a sentimentality. I, I talk to people who don't go to church who are, have asked me, where, where, where would you think I should go to church this year if I simply wanted to go to church for Easter? I just want to be a part of what's happening for an Easter celebration. So there is this draw. Now let me read you a quote, and I'm going to get into the next. I want to read you a quote by John Gerstner, the late great uh, theologian, John Gerstner, evangelical theologian. And then I want to go through some scripture with you to help you understand why I'm saying what I'm saying today, and to help you get some historic context on uh, redemptive history and the history of God's people and how this has been a problem throughout the history of God's people. We are not, we are standing at a unusually decadent time right now, a time of widespread uh, prevalence of this kind of false worship. But what I want you to hear today is that God is not indifferent to it. God does not say, well, you, you figure out how you want to worship me and then I'll adapt to that. But that's, that's what people think. As if worship is something we, we can freely do. And even if people are unregenerate, they can still worship. I mean, even if they're just unregenerate churchgoers, they can still sing from the hymnal and they can offer worship and they think that that's acceptable to God. You can stand there with an unregenerate, wicked heart a person who's not even a Christian by biblical standards, and that person can offer worship, and God goes, oh, that's wonderful. No. God rejects it. This is what John Gerstner calls um, bad, good works. I'm going to read you just a quote from his book, um, Primitive Theology. He says, quote, I call these bad good works. I mean by that that they are bad in their motivation because the person is wrongly related to God in the first place. Even though the things themselves, such as giving money in church or kneeling to pray or going the second mile with someone who has misused you, are good things in themselves, they are corrupted by the source from which they come. They are, as we say, poisoned springs. Even good things are poisoned when they come from a poisonous source. Mafia members often pray about their hits, quote-unquote. And Gerstner goes on to say, Manifestly, if one confuses this manner, he is prone to think he is an acceptable individual because a particular thing he is doing is in itself acceptable. Going to church, attending worship, being part of a church, identifying with the the physical body of Christ is a good thing. Unless you aren't. 
unless you're an unregenerate person who has yet to come to, to bow his knee to Jesus Christ, and you're simply playing church, then it is not a good thing for you. Gershner goes on to say, quote, as long as he is an unacceptable person, all that he does is unacceptable. What he means by that is there is one basis by which we are acceptable before a, a just and holy God, and that is on the basis of faith in his Son alone. We are accepted, it says in Ephesians 1.6, in the Beloved. We are accepted in in him, in Christ. Apart from Christ, we are not accepted. Apart from Christ, we stand as condemned, wicked rebels. And God is not indifferent to that. But God is also forbearing. He is patient. He is kind. He is merciful. And he has made the supreme provision for reconciliation to him through his son. But in the last 50 years, we have represented the gospel as being something that's almost incidental. We have represented the good news that we are saved not only from our sins, but we were saved from the, the, the wrath of a just and holy God, the just wrath of a holy God against those sins. We are either in Christ, relishing in his righteousness alone, redeemed, adopted children of God, by God's mercy and grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ's finished work alone, or we're simply churchgoers. We've been lured into the church. I mean, I, I was there. I understand. In the 1990s, when I was in Bible college, the early 90s, I, I remember, even into the late 90s, I remember this, this seeker-sensitive thing going on. And, and the goal was to reach the, quote, unchurched. The unchurched which meant, I guess, our goal was is to church them. And that's exactly what we did. I mean, I, I attended classes in Bible college where they taught us how to do that. It was retail sales. By the time I got into Bible college, I had been in sales personally as a vocation for 20 years. I understood, I understood sales and marketing when I hear it. And I, what I heard was sales and marketing. Go out and market and sell the church. I mean, we used to even ask people, knock on their door, do you attend church? No. What would, what would you have to do? What would a church have to look like and be in order for you to come? Oh, well, I have to do this, this, and that. Okay. You run back. You design a church that looks like that. Then you run back to those people and say, look, look what we did. You told us. You asked. We delivered. Will you come to church now? Well, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll consider that. And so the church is flooded with people who have come to church, not on God's terms, not on biblical standards, but in response to a consumer survey. I mean, goodness, the whole Southern Baptist Conference at this point is, is unregenerate. 
<laughs> it's the, the we've never known a time such as this where whole conferences, whole denominations have just become unregenerate churchgoers. The road is getting narrower and straighter. But the many always prefer the wide gate and the broad path. And tomorrow morning, the many are going to gather, beginning even this evening. Millions, if not billions, of the, quote, faithful, end quote, are going to attend Easter services. And if you attend, you're going to be rubbing shoulders with largely unregenerate population who are pretending to worship God. But what I'm saying to you, and I don't want to be harsh, I don't want to be unkind, I'm not trying to be too radical, I'm just saying, the worship of the unbeliever is unacceptable to God. The standard isn't you have to be a church scorer to be acceptable to God, you have to be in Christ to be acceptable to God. The only worship God receives are those who are in his Son. It's almost as if we don't want to believe that God has, has vested all his saving interests and all his blessing, all his love, all his reconciliation, all his favor in his Son. We want to think that there's some other avenues too which God was equally favorable, and there is not. Let me say it clearly. If you're an unbeliever and you show up at church tomorrow morning just because it's Easter, your, your very presence there, your worship that you may attempt or pretend to be offering is unacceptable to God. You are not advancing your case. You are bringing yourself under greater condemnation. Don't do it. And if you are a believer... Given the current situation, given the current crises in the American church, I, I can't encourage you enough to stay home. Or find a group of Christians that you know are genuine Christians and worship with them. Get together and rejoice and celebrate the bodily resurrection of our Lord, our justification in Him. Get together and worship and celebrate the fact that God the Father raised Him from the dead and what we are justified in, that our resurrection as Christians, our resurrection as regenerate children of God in him is guaranteed because God raised him and seated him at his right hand. And because we are in him, we, are, we have a certain hope. Well, let me finish this quote by Gerstner. He goes on to say, and he says, as long as he is an unacceptable person, unacceptable to whom? God. All that he does is unacceptable. Do you hear what I'm saying? The worship of the unbeliever is unacceptable to God. I, I can't make it any more clear than that. Don't participate in it. As a matter of fact, he goes on to say, it becomes more offensive than ordinary evil deeds. An evil person always does evil deeds, even though they may appear to be good. Grapes among thorns. When one seems to be doing what is good, and purports to be doing what is good, and claims to be doing what is good, and is considered by people as doing what is good, he is playing the role of a hypocrite. 
In all these circumstances, hypocrisy makes a seeming good work worse than an obviously bad work for the simple reason that it seems to be what it is not. He goes on. Evil, as evil, is at least seen as what it really is. Evil seen as good is a compounded evil. So none can sin like the saint. That is, none can sin like a person who seems to be a saint, while actually being a sinner in false clothes. He is a wolf in sheep's clothing. None can blaspheme like the pious. As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Romans 2.24 And then Gerstner concludes, You are a devil appearing as an angel of light. And the devil is never more devilish than when he appears as an angel of light. End quote. Some of you may be tempted to turn off this broadcast. And I understand. I understand. I have talked to people who clearly didn't understand the gospel, and my heart goes out to them. My heart breaks for them. I have people in my counseling office who are, think they are Christians, and they are not. I meet with them weekly. And as I begin to share the gospel with them, there are times when they're so shocked, so frustrated, and so bewildered that they ask me, ask me to stop. It's too much for them. They've got their whole life built around a falsehood. And they're well vested in that life. And they don't want to hear something that's going to turn their world upside down. It's shocking. Or they have this mindset that, well, you know, I think God gives us liberty. We can worship any way we want to. Wrong. God is not indifferent to our worship. And he's especially not indifferent to the worship of those who are hypocrites, those who are unbelievers masking as his people. Now, this is not new. I told you I was going to read some texts to help you understand this from a historic biblical perspective. And I'm going to begin with Amos, the prophet Amos, uh, beginning at chapter 5, verse 21. Here the prophet says this, Speaking for God to Israel, I hate, I despise your feast days, and I will not smell in your solemn assemblies. Though you offer me burnt offerings and your meat offerings, I will not accept them. Neither will I regard the peace offerings of your fat beasts. Take thou away from me the noise of thy songs. For I will not hear the melody of thy vials, your instruments. But let judgment run down as waters, and righteousness as a mighty stream. 
Have ye offered unto me sacrifices and offerings in the wilderness forty years, O house of Israel? But you have borne the tabernacle of your Moloch and your Shion, your images, the star of your God, which you made to yourselves. In other words, end quote, by the way. In other words, Amos is saying, I, God is saying clearly through Amos, I don't want your worship. It stinks. It is a stench in my nostrils. I'm not going to smell it. I will not accept them. Think of that. God is telling Israel at this point in their history, I will not accept your worship. He calls their music noise. Boy, if that isn't appropriate today. Take thou away from me the noise of thy songs, for I will not hear the melody of thy vials or your instruments. And then he closes this prophecy with, um, in chapter 5, saying, you've offered me offerings in the wilderness, and now you've included two other false gods in your images that you offer yourselves to as well also. In other words, they, 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 they have adopted and integrated into their worship of Yahweh the worship of false gods as well. And they ex expect that that's going to be acceptable to God? Let's look at Jeremiah 7 for a moment. Jeremiah 7, verse 1, through, uh, let's see, we'll go down to verse 16 perhaps. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word, and say, Hear the word of the Lord, all ye Judah, that enter in at these gates to worship the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Amend your ways and your doings, and I will cause you to dwell in this place. Trust not, trust ye not in lying words, saying, quote, The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. For if you thoroughly amend your ways and your doings, if you thoroughly execute judgment between a man and his neighbor, if you oppress not the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, and shed not innocent blood in this place, neither walk after other gods to your hurt, then I will cause you to dwell in this place in the land that I gave your fathers forever and ever. Behold, ye trust in lying words that cannot profit. Will you steal, murder, and commit adultery, and swear falsely, and burn incense unto Baal, and walk after other gods whom you know not, and come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name? and say, we are delivered to do all these abominations. Is this house which is called by my name become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, even I have seen it, saith the Lord. We'll pause there. You get the point. God's not indifferent to false worship. And there's absolutely no way, absolutely no way whatsoever, that an unbeliever especially, who purports to be a Christian, 
who's nothing else but a, just a good church goer, can accurately and truly worship God. They can't do it. They don't have the heart. They don't have the mind for it. They're harboring rebellion towards God. These aren't just people who are basically good people, and if they give a chance, given a chance, they will always choose to worship God. No. These are people who are worshiping God, worshiping God falsely because their hearts are still in love with sin. They are still in open rebellion towards God. If they heard the gospel, they'd reject it. But they're in the church because they've never heard the gospel, they've never been challenged by the gospel, and they will never have to be to do anything with it. Consequently, they can be good churchgoers without ever hearing the gospel. It reminds me of that story of someone once said that what would happen if the devil took over a town? What would it look like? Chaos, mayhem, violence, destruction? No. If the devil ever took over a town, it'd be a nice, quiet, sanitized neighborhoods with well-groomed yards, well-disciplined children playing in the street, neighbors waving at each other, and down the street, at the end of the street, there'd be a church where the gospel is never preached. That's what I'm talking about. Let me give you one more example from the Old Covenant. Malachi, where the people had grown so apathetic towards God that they questioned him constantly. Malachi 1, 6 through 11 reads this way. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I be a father, where is my honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear, saith the Lord of hosts unto you? O priest, that you despise my name, and ye say, Wherein have we despised thy name? You offer polluted bread upon my altar, and you say, well, Wherein have we polluted thee? See, they were oblivious. They were utterly oblivious and pretended that they weren't doing these things when they were doing it. And they believed that God wouldn't notice or care. Wherein have we polluted thee? In that you say, The table of the Lord is contemptible. Verse 8. And if you offer the blind for a sacrifice, is it not evil? And if you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? People were taken not the best of the flocks, not the best to bring, bring as offerings to the Lord. No, they were bringing the sick and the lame and those who were about to die anyway and said, let's just take these and bring them to the temple and offer those to God. God says, offer it now unto your governor. Will he be pleased with thee? Or accept your person, says the Lord of hosts. We'll pause there. You get the point. Let me finish with this. False worship proceeds is a natural consequence of a false gospel. And a false gospel produces false Christians. So what we're about to witness tomorrow in this spectacle, both on television, radio, and in the churches throughout the land, is simply the consequence 
of 50 years of false gospel preaching. And those who participated are going to receive the greater condemnation. These are the times in which we live, beloved. And I have resisted it. I must confess to you, I have resisted it as much as anyone. I'm a good traditionalist. I'm a good son of the church. I have worked overtime to stay within the institution and stay within the structure, but I have watched the structure degrade itself over the decades to the point where it's just unbelievable. I can't, couldn't keep up with it. I couldn't lower my standards fast enough to keep up with the decline in biblical Christianity. And at one point, I had to just say, whoa, the church is leaving me. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you have taken your families and gone from church to church to church. A friend of mine came back from the mission field one time many years ago, back to America, and began to shop for a church home. And he said they consistently left services every Sunday looking at each other saying, what was that? My goodness. That wasn't even anything close to biblical worship. That was just a, a show. It was an entertainment. Well, we know what the Lord Jesus said about this, right? <clears throat> he said, many will say to me in that day, not, or let me back up, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. That's clear. But he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. See, in other words, he just defined a regenerate heart. He could have just as easily said, Not everyone who says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that has a regenerate heart, mind, and will. Period. Done. Church membership doesn't save anyone. Many will say to me in that day, What day? The day of the Lord. The day of Christ, when it's going to be too late. It's going to be too late to do anything about it. Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name do many wonderful works. And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. End quote. What I have said to you today is consider staying home, or at least staying away from the spectacle that's going to happen in the next 48 hours in American Christianity, and particularly in the next 18 to 24 hours. Stay away from it. Don't rub shoulders with it. Don't participate in it. It's a stench in the nostrils of God. God is not indifferent to it. He is judging it even now. Don't be numbered among them. And again, I don't say this with glee. I don't say this with any hint of delight. It's a great burden. I, I seriously consider whether or not to record this episode. But I felt compelled for your well-being and for the glory of God to do so. Pray with me, if you will. Pray with me over the next 18 to 24 uh, hours that, that God will have mercy on his own. 
that they will be given great discernment to separate from amongst them, come out from amongst them and be separate, and touch not the unclean thing, we're told. And find fellowship this Sunday. Find fellowship this Resurrection Sunday. Set aside the whole word Easter. Just put that aside. And find fellowship where you can gather with like-minded believers, those in union with Christ, and celebrate the wonders and the glories and the power and the incredible benefits of being in Christ, including his death and resurrection on your behalf. Celebrate the fact that in him, your resurrection is absolutely certain because his has occurred and you are in him. Love your families. Break some bread. Enjoy the day. Just stay away from the spectacle. Amen.